Hey guys, welcome back to the All Bodies Nutrition Podcast. This is your host, Eleni, and as always, I'm so grateful to have you here with me today. Today, I'm so lucky to have a special guest coming from Manhattan in New York. Um, her name is Chelsea. She's an amazing dietitian. I'm going to have all of her info linked in the um, description box or show notes or whatever it's called. Um, and so you could definitely follow her and check her out and everything like that. So Chelsea, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Lainey. It's good to be here. It's so cool to connect with dietitians that have like similar mindsets and similar ways of practicing. And like we were saying prior to like recording, like we were all trained a certain way and the way that we practice is nothing like how we were trained in school. Mm. And I find it so interesting how we all kind of found each other on the, in the social media realm. And it's so exciting to be a weight inclusive dietitian, to be in this space and seeing it grow and flourish and people starting to recognize it. I couldn't agree more. I absolutely love working in a weight inclusive modality and I love meeting like-minded people that are working in an ethical <laughs> dynamic and um, learning how we all got to this place and, and support each other and support our clients. It's so important. Definitely for sure. So I'd love for you to give the listeners a little bit of a background about you, how you came into nutrition, how you became a dietitian, and then how you ended up to where you are now with, with your current practice. Yeah, absolutely. So I will share some of my, I guess, privileges and marginalization so everyone can get a sense of who I am is you can't see me, but you can hear me. I am uh, a Jewish fat woman in New York City, and I am educated, partnered, um, and let's see, I'm able-bodied and, you know, lots of privileges. Um, But yeah, I would say that being um, a fat person in a straight-sized focused world is definitely an uphill battle for, for all. And being uh, fat as a clinician is an honor to sort of hold even more space for empathy for, for folks out there who experience that oppression. So I just want to name that first and foremost, but also grateful for my privileges that um, led me to be where I am today. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, and um, I work as an eating disorder recovery dietitian uh, via telehealth for the most part right now through this pandemic. Uh, I also work with disordered eating and some medical nutrition therapy, chronic diseases, and definitely tell everybody more about some of my offerings as we get into more chats about that in detail. I'm trying to think if I'm missing anything there. Um, I'm an intuitive eating counselor and um, yeah. And, and it's an honor to, to talk more about it with you. Oh, I'm so excited. And thank you for that introduction. Um, I think it's important for us to acknowledge our privileges and I think normalizing it so that people just kind of expect it, I think is so important because for so long people weren't really acknowledging it. And that's, as I'm sure, you know, and I'm not sure if the listeners know, cause most of them are, uh, on the patient or client side of, uh, this space, um, the unfortunate issues that have come up in the intuitive eating space in the health at every size space. It's been a little bit, uh, 
eye-opening for many people to see people's true colors, unfortunately. Um, so I think that it's great that you are acknowledging like where you are in this space. And I think it's great. Um, so I'd love to hear how you came into the, the nutrition world, because I know you mentioned it was like a career change, which I find so cool and so interesting. Yeah. And it, it's, it's different because I actually knew about health at every size and intuitive before I started mm. my tra- 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 trajectory, yeah. <laughs> um, trajectory into the space. So let's see, I worked in fine art photography and eventually led into working in production where I uh, would hire photographers, animators, and illustrators for um, advertisements and got to travel all around the world. And it was a lovely experience, but uh, way, midway through sort of that space, I recognized I wanted to go back and help people. And I was exploring different um, trajectories of healthcare and led to uh, nutrition and dietetics. So did all my prereqs. And uh, at the time I saw my own intuitive eating counselor dietitian to um, kind of as a weird last leg stop dieting, but mm. finding a way to quote unquote, like fix my body because I felt like I needed to have my body as my business card to become a dietitian mm-hmm. because that's what I've seen out there that there aren't that many people in diverse bodies. Uh, yeah. Working in the space. So I, yeah. you know, was sort of thinking, uh, hurry up and try to, to make a shift and, and this could, could help me do that. Mm-hmm. And so I would say three sessions into working with an intuitive eating counselor, I was, sold on not um, pursuing weight loss anymore for my health. Um, Not to say that I didn't want to Mm. change my body, but I was willing to try something else because when you've been on as many diets as I've been on, it's just burnout, um, which is also common as as any dieter may know um, that they don't work long-term. So you're back on them uh, through your life. So I would say in my early thirties was when I stop dieting for the first time. So from like 15 ish, give or take, maybe a little less till that point, I had been chronically dieting, not Mm. an eating disorder, but, but disordered relationship to food and body being taught by our society that we need to eat a certain way to be healthy by some sort of restriction and, you know, and look a certain way. And I weight cycled and, you know, led to a space where I, I recognized like this doesn't work for me. Mm -hmm. So I really got to heal before and start that healing process before I began, uh, I guess a year out before I began my graduate degree in dietetics. So when I got there, it was intense because I'm in a cohort of 27 people who Mm -hmm. all believe weight in a weight centric model, meaning that Mm -hmm. like most medical models are, are basically weight centric. And the recommendation is to try to lose weight to manage your health, which we, you and I both know through the research and, and our work um, is actually really unethical and un- unhealthy. So, so there, I did find a few people in that cohort that ended up being leaning towards health at every size and intuitive eating. I think because of technology, yeah. it's become more readily available in, in our space through podcasts and books and social mm-hmm. media. But it's not really taught in school. We're taught a completely different paradigm. 
Um, and so going there, having healed my own body in relationship to food, I had to really kind of sit with, I have to learn all this information and go against the grain Yeah. because when I, I just need to get my license and get out of here and, yeah. and try to find like-minded people because um, this is, you know, a modality that hasn't quite Mm-mm. been fully understood yet, unfortunately. Yeah. But um, yeah, that is the, <laughs> the way that I got to health at every size and intuitive eating and ultimately just a weight inclusive um, nutrition care focus. I find that so interesting. First of all, thank you for sharing all of that. Um, yeah. And I totally can relate to so much of what you said in terms of feeling the need to shrink your body to fit into the, you know, um, what you would think, quote unquote, like a dietitian would look like or should look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think it is so unfortunate. I mean, I'm not sure what like the school kinds of world is like now, but I mean, I took classes in the undergraduate and graduate level called weight management, childhood Mm -hmm. obesity. And I took all these classes because they literally teach you, um, to help people shrink their bodies. And what's, what's so crazy is that as, so I was kind of the other way around where I was taught this way. Um, and in my, in my own personal experience, I was constantly always trying to shrink my body. Like it was just like an ongoing effort throughout my whole entire life for as long as I can remember since as early as eight years old. So like, I didn't even know how to think differently. So like when I was always like one of the largest individuals in my classes, in my, uh, uh, dietetic internship. Like I just was like always accepting of that. You know, I was just, this is who I am and it's, it is what it is, but I'm still trying to lose weight. You know, like I felt like it had to be part of like, Oh, I'm a dietitian or I'm becoming a dietitian, but I'm, I've lost this much weight or I'm trying to, you know, and it was just such a messed up place to be in. And, you know, once I came, went out on my own and I started to heal my relationship with food and recognize that I had disordered habits and I developed binge eating disorder, which I thought was just like cheat days or like, oh, well, I didn't have enough control, you know, all the things. Um, that's when I just realized like, I can't do this anymore and I need to just like stop. And I didn't actually read any of the materials in terms of like intuitive eating or health at every size. I just kind of like, not like came up with it on my own, so to speak, but like started to process that in terms of like, well, wherever my body is right now is okay. And I just have to accept that. And if this is what I look like for the rest of my life, as long as I'm pursuing things that, that like keep me healthy. So in terms of having PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, like my lab values and stuff like that, then it's fine. And that's kind of how I came into it. And then I fig- I learned more about like these other movements. And I was like, Oh, my God, there's stuff out there that that promotes this that like, you know, and I thought it was so interesting. So I find it so cool that you were kind of like on the opposite side where it like inspired you to come into the field. I um, mean, I think that's so great that you kind of found that intuitive eating counselor that kind of like opened your eyes to like, you don't have to live this way. Like you can exist as you are and pursue, you know, health improving behaviors that have nothing to do with you weighing yourself or you just actively trying to shrink your body. It's like the most 
amazing life-changing thing. I don't know if that sounds a little excessive, but for me, no, that's exactly not at all. how it was. I couldn't agree more. Well, first I wanted to just say, sort of name two things. One, when I heard you say that it sort of like came to you, I felt the words that came to mind were like your inner wisdom were speaking that this wasn't working for your bio- biology and emotionally and physically, like your inner truth is, was present. And then you had the vernacular of like yeah. other people saying like, here's another sort of way yeah. of behaving around food and body that um, are safer and like more peaceful for you. And mm. there is another way that you don't have to like be in this rat race of yeah. attempting to lose weight to present as healthy, nor do we have to be trying to achieve health, which is a whole other conversation. Right. But, but I'm, I'm just so glad that, that, that you found that and that it, it was sort of twofold. Like you knew yeah. internally, and then you had that intellectual sort of connection through for sure. uh, publications and other people. Um, and the other thing I was going to say was like, it was really ambivalent for me to come in. I was really wanting to help other people lose weight. That's why I was going back to school. I thought that that was what you were supposed to do. I really genuinely did. And I thought that if I did that for myself or like with others, I could help myself this whole, you know, like it wasn't yeah. altruistic, but then I went and met with this dietitian who became mm. an intuitive eating counselor and was promoting that uh, professionally and she shifted what my plan was to do as a second career. And so had I not met this clinician, wow. I could be doing something completely different right now with my uh, degree. So I'm really, really grateful. And like you That's just amazing. also said, thank you. And finding intuitive eating was life-changing for me. Yeah. I mean, life-changing. Like I, I mean, I'm still, I think it's a lifetime of healing from dieting or an eating disorder or just having a relationship with a body in this, in this world. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, yeah, I'm coming from a completely different headspace about it and it's, it's life-changing. For sure. And I think, yeah. And I think for everyone listening, you know, there are people that are in different places of the healing spectrum. Some people aren't necessarily ready to start their healing journey. Some people are adopting certain principles of intuitive eating or are kind of have their foot in the door. Some people are partially recovered where maybe they aren't engaging in certain uh, obvious um, eating disorder behaviors or disordered eating behaviors, but they're still holding on to certain things. And so wherever you are in that space, I just want people to know that like, it's possible to heal and it just takes time. And it's, it's like, so it took so long to like, kind of uh, like, I always explain to people that like, we were born thinking like not dieting, not worrying about what size we were. Like if we just grew up in like a deserted island, no one would know what thin was. Nobody would know what fat was. It would just be like, you're here and that's it. And society kind of programmed us to think a certain way. And so if you've lived your whole life a certain way, it's very hard to undo that. It really is. I'm glad that you and I found it and we get to share that with listeners out there. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your practice, um, what you're working on. Um, of course, we'll leave all of your info in the um, show notes. I call it description box, but this isn't YouTube. It's it's a podcast. And it's <laughs> called show notes. Um, as you can see, it's very professional over here. <laughs> I love it. Um, and I'd love for you to talk more about medical nutrition therapy in terms of still eating disorder recovery and intuitive eating, because that's such an important 
area. And I think that I personally haven't spoken much about that. Like I do talk about it, but not as much. So I think that would be really cool if you could, you know, bring up some information in terms of that. Absolutely. So I I have a lot of offerings because I have a lot of interests. Um, And so, but they are sort of clinically connected to the endocrine system. So on our side, might make a lot of sense, but for everyone out there, um, I'll share each sort of like offering of, of what I do as a clinician. So I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist and I work in, um, as a telehealth, uh, dietitian in a private practice. So I can work with folks worldwide on counseling. And then depending on the States you're in, I can work with you on, um, different chronic diseases and medical nutrition therapy. I work with chronic dieting and eating disorder recovery, um, generally speaking, and then sort of the intersections of gender affirming care for trans and non-binary folks. Um, and I'm specifically going to be doing some more specific offerings on gestational diabetes with the intersection of gender affirming care coming up. So I'm really excited to have that offering. And so, you know, folks who identify opposite of the sex they were born and they end up carrying a child before they give birth and sort of the navigation of doctors and mm. language and sort of the sort of care. I'm, I'm a big advocate for my clients. And so it's uh, a focus on weight inclusive nutrition. Um, so that means that I don't um, provide any sort of support on intentional weight loss. So obviously if somebody does lose weight um, as a result to I don't know, a behavior or, um, an illness. Um, yeah, like we can certainly work on where we need to be and what, Mm. what's best for you, but it's not the focus. The focus is on self-care around adequate and consistent nourishment, body image healing. Um, yeah, so I am an intuitive eating counselor. And so I've worked on sort of the nuances of the principles of intuitive eating and intuitive eating is sort of what would have existed if dieting didn't exist, yeah. it'd just be eating, as we say a lot. Um, but there are some sort of steps and structure around unlearning of diet culture and relearning how to connect to your body. Uh, so I use that in different ways, sometimes more prescriptively and other times sort of more creatively and loose. It depends on the session. So yeah. a session could look really different from one person to another. Um, and I use the principles of health at every size. Mm. Uh, as part of my work and I'm fat positive in my stance and um, body positive, which has been sort of Mm. all these words have sort of been co-opted by diet culture. And so, you know, they may have different meanings to folks out there, but um, sort of naming that that is a a descriptor that's neutral of Mm. my size or someone else's size. And I'm about sort of um, body liberation and self-care around the body and food. Um, so that's sort of the stance. And uh, I hold space for, for that healing process of uh, learning how to, you know, consistently eat. Yeah. And again, it can, every session can look really different for some folks. Um, we were talking earlier about how, like this pandemic really sort of, mm. I started my career shift um, right at the beginning of the pandemic, I started working in a private practice, got the keys to the office. And then by the end of the week, we all were virtual. So mm-hmm. I've been virtual 
as a uh, dietitian for the past two years or clinician recently licensed and so happy to be here. And so, yeah, what that could look like is cooking in the kitchen, mm-hmm. um, organizing the fridge, um, cleaning out your closet or like trying to reconcile like, you know, comfort levels in certain clothes fitting or not fitting, mm-hmm. um, you know, eating together because you have access to like yeah. your food and also, you know, just like more maybe convenience when in between your appointments yeah, in your day of sure. work and life, whatever might be going on. So also like pets are involved. My, my dog's here, <laughs> your dog's there. Um, most of my clients like have their pets coming through and it, I get to see like their space and their home and their yeah. personality. And so it's just, it's a lovely sort of connection and platform that brings us access when maybe we couldn't have been connected sure. in the midst of a global pandemic. So yeah. I'm incredibly grateful for that. Um, additionally, I'm, I'm working with diabetes and PCOS, um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, as you mentioned before. And um, so, yeah, those are the main sort of, so for medical nutrition therapy, for those out there who don't know, it's like sort of for dietitians, the sort of clinical medical work that we might do around some chronic disease um, illnesses Mm. that show up. And so, yeah, I'm really interested in offering more care around, um, weight neutral diabetes Mm. care. So what does that look like? Sort of pairing of your macronutrients, eating Mm. consistently, understanding that, um, there are many reasons why blood sugars go out of range that have nothing to do with, um, what food you ate. Um, you can get a sunburn and your blood sugar could go up. It also, you could do everything right and your blood sugar could be out of range and sort of finding the balance of what is okay and safe and harm reduction for an individual. So, um, and a lot of folks with PCOS are susceptible to getting diagnosed with type two diabetes. So I, I do see the importance of just sort of being, supportive and available on that care around diabetes, PCOS, gestational diabetes. Um, and, and yeah, I love working with people and, but I, I especially hold a soft spot for people who are fat and or oppressed in any way. Um, and so that's why I offer, you know, that sort of intersection to a gender affirming care. I love that so much. And I think, hopefully in the future that will be the norm you know for, so for much. healthcare um yes, please. for now you know we kind of have to go out of our way to say like this is what we're doing and this is what we offer you know in mm-hmm. terms of like our practice and things like that um and something that I and I I always like repeat it over and over again is that when you are an anti-diet dietitian intuitive eating person uh you know, uh, health at every size practitioner. And these are the values that you hold in your practice. It doesn't mean that we don't care about your health. It actually means that we care even more so about your health because you know how harmful, (laughs) you know, the dieting, the weight cycling. And, you know, in my own personal experience, when I had lost a significant amount of weight, prior to being a dietitian, when I, when I was diagnosed with PCOS, because I thought like, oh, I would just lose weight and it would fix 
all my hormones and all my problems. And the truth was, was that nothing was fixed in terms of my hormones and my problems. So that whole argument of like, oh, well, you lose weight and your diabetes is healed and this is healed and that is healed is just not the case. And I'm not saying that it never happens, but if we look at what your habits were, like you said, macronutrient pairing, managing stress, looking at other areas of your life where you can help bring down Mm -hmm. someone's insulin resistance and things like that. Yeah. You know, you may see weight loss. That may be something that happens, but that's not a metric that we track. It's not anything that we really care about. Your Mm -hmm. body's going to do what it wants to do. It's very smart. And if that's where it wants to go, Mm -hmm. that's where it's going to go. Um, but we care more about what your lab values are, how, how you are doing as an individual, how you are managing your life and things like that. And I think Mm -hmm. just explaining to people that there's like another way you don't have to cut out all the carbs and that's actually going to make you probably binge them later and then cause your blood sugar to spike and make your hemoglobin A1C high, which we know that's kind of like a three month look back period at how well your body is managing your blood sugar levels. And that's what they used to like help diagnose if you are diabetic or pre-diabetic. Um, so I think it's just so cool and so interesting that there are much, many more providers out there that are offering these services and this mindset compared to, um, what it was 10 years ago. Yeah. I think, you know, it's a slow shift and we need so much more safe care out there medically, um, nutritionally. Um, and it just, it keeps moving slowly, you know, along pushing that needle. And so that's why I'm extra grateful just to connect with people like yourself and, and share that with, people out there listening, because there is another way, as you said, that is safe. And I think another point to sort of add to that um, is that it's totally normal to want to be in a smaller body and Mm -hmm. to romanticize the idea that it's going to make you happier because our cultures center this as um, part of like, you know, our equity that like, we are more important, more lovable, more desirable. um, If we look a certain way, and that's just not true. That's a, a false narrative. Um, and sort of that intersection with wellness and health is, yeah. is, you know, of course, what's first and foremost as clinicians, we're like, Hey, this is unethical to promote weight loss. It causes weight cycling. Um, it is really only maintained short term for two to five years for 95 to 97% of the population globally. Um, that's why diets don't work and people keep dieting. And, but you know, it's like, yeah this sort of combination of why do we care about our health versus um, why do we care what we look like and Mm -hmm. what does it all mean to us? It's not related. What you look like has nothing to do with with whether or not you are healthy. And I talk about this a lot in terms of social media and the wellness culture, which is um, unfortunately the kinds of it, it, it takes up a huge space of this space that we are in. Um, and it gives like a false narrative. Like I, I posted earlier this, this past week about like what I eat in a day posts. Yeah. And so like you have like a thin white woman, um, showing her day, her, her, uh, like her exciting life in New York city where she's drinking her, you know, Saqqara smoothie and then her lunch is from sweet green. And then she's having a protein 
ball and then like you know just showing all these things that a first of all it's not realistic for everyone to have access to these types of foods secondly people you don't have to tell people like oh if you eat this way you're gonna look like me it's just kind of like an unsaid thing where like if some if you have all these followers because they like your style or they they think you're pretty or whatever and now you're promoting this is what I eat in a day and use my code for $50 off this, you know, whatever protein powder or meal delivery service or whatever. It just further affirms that you're going to look like this person. If you do their workout and eat what they're eating and you could be this happy and, you know, healthy as well. Meanwhile, like you don't even know if this person is healthy, like, it's just so frustrating sometimes I think for the masses of people who don't know how to identify these things as like red flags in terms of like diet culture. Mm -hmm. And it's Mm -hmm. so harmful when these sources claim to not be part of diet culture. It's very manipulative. And for someone who's not like educated in medicine um, and sort of awakened to understanding all these nuances it's it's hard to sort of navigate like what is real what is true what is actually helpful what is what does it mean to be healthy um yeah it's it can be overwhelming where does one start yeah and especially in like the tiktok world going down the rabbit hole of you know mm-hmm. body positivity and all these other things, which is a whole other conversation. Um, I just feel uh, a strong kind of like source of anger towards this type of space, because especially as we enter the warmer months, you know, diet Mm. culture is always here, but it's kind of peeking its head out now because it's like summer Mm -hmm. bodies, you know, Mm -hmm. get your body ready for summer, get, you know, lean and healthy. Like people always use those two words together, whereas you can be healthy and not necessarily be quote unquote lean. And, Absolutely. and so when we talk about wanting to intentionally shrink our body, it is no wonder that people feel that way, because that's literally the, the obvious messaging that we are given by like society and media and everything else and, and our healthcare system. And also subconsciously through the media and social media and things like that. And so like you I mean, I usually like to keep on QVC on TV just to like have something on the background. So Penelope, my dog could like watch something even though she's sleeping right now. (laughs) Um, And so like on one hand, they'll they'll show uh, sketchers, sneakers, because now you should get outside and get your 10,000 steps in. And then in the next segment, they're showing brownies and they're like, oh, well, good thing you bought those sneakers to, you know, walk and burn off those calories. And so even if they're not healthcare providers or dietitians, you're still getting that messaging from people just watching the freaking QVC or the home shopping network or whatever. It's just so crazy to me how it's like all over the place. And so that's why it's so difficult for people to kind of abandon that thought process of, well, I should shrink my body. I'll be happier. I'll, I'll like how I look, but it's never Mm -hmm. enough. You're never going to get there. And you know, it's, it's, it's always going to be a constant process and you're never going to get to a place where it's like, oh yes, now I weigh this amount and I'm in this size and now I'm happy forever. Like it just doesn't work like that. Completely. Yeah. Body image is not a direct correlation to like Mm. how we, yeah, feel exactly or 
how we look, it's it's a combination of that day's sort of how much energy we have, our hormone levels, our perception, inner thoughts and mind, um, how we're impacted externally and how we internalize those ideologies, which yeah. are really problematic. I mean, you're talking about a capitalistic sort of yeah. manipulation that's perpetuated ubiquitously. And so before you even like wake up in the morning, yeah, you've internalized, you turn on QVC and for, yeah. for your pug <laughs> and you've internalized like five, you yeah. know, hundred, like, you know, messages. False na- yeah. messages and narratives. So we're really like, an, it's an uphill battle, but I will say for those out there who are considering another way, because they've struggled with um, nourishing their bodies and caring for it and clothing it and interacting with mm-hmm. people and the world that there just really is another way. And, um, you don't have to participate in these conversations. A lot of times we will be with other people or you'll, you'll be eating and you'll hear another group of people talking about pursuit of weight loss or looking a certain way. And it's really maybe not aligned with your value system. Um, and once you see this and learn about it, it's sort of like a huge, like you can't unlearn it. Yeah. It's everywhere. It's ubiquitous. But um, I can say that you can feel incredible for unlearning these ideas and maybe getting angry is a healthy thing to do for part of that process yeah. of like this, these aren't my thoughts or ideas. They're ideas that have been passed on to me through doctors, family members, magazines, yeah. TV shows, movies, um, you know, friends and so forth. And so Mm -hmm. it's a process of unlearning um, and staying attuned to the present Mm -hmm. moment of what your body's telling you you need. Yeah, for sure. And it's so complicated. And like you said, your um, interventions in terms of the care that you provide range from session to session, from person to person, because everyone has their own experiences. And it's not like we're all cookie cutter, you know, people who have Mm -hmm. all gone through the same thing. So we may struggle with similar obstacles with body image and being able to listen to our own hunger and satiety cues, which oftentimes just because you decide to stop dieting and engage in, uh, you know, more intuitive behaviors, it doesn't mean that your hunger signals are even going to be there. It takes time Mm -hmm. to kind of like, let your body. And so what I always tell my clients is that like, I can't predict when they're going to come back and be normalized, you know, like in a regular way, but like it will happen. But in, in the meantime, like we have to do X, Y, and Z, you know, like have small meals every so often and things like that. So, you know, I think, I think also explaining how not everyone's recovery is, is the same as important as well. Mm. And what recovery looks like is different. <laughs> yeah, truly, yeah, for, sh- for sure. And there's there's a lot of people in the online space in the recovery space that share their recovery in terms of like their before and afters or whatever, which I am you know clearly not a fan of. And those who listen to this podcast know that. But like, what you look like in terms of prior to your eating disorder or in the midst of your eating mm-hmm. disorder versus when you're recovered what you look like has nothing to do with anything. Like it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. Are you, Oh no, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no. Um, I was just saying like, I remember I, I was pr- a previous patient that I worked with. She, um, 
was in the midst of recovery and she was surprised when I didn't want her to weigh herself. She's like, so how are we going to know how much weight I'm gaining? And I'm like, I don't care how much weight you're gaining. You're as long as you're eating and you know, we're getting you to be more intuitive and having balanced Mm -hmm. meals and this, this, and that, um, your body's going to do what it wants to do. And it's going to heal the way that it wants. And yes, we're going to, you know, check in on your labs and keep in touch with your physician and things like that. But like, whatever the scale says doesn't make a difference to me. We're not going to, there's no goal weight for you to be at. It's what your body wants to do where it wants to end up. And for Mm. a lot of people that seems very scary in terms of recovery, because you Mm -hmm. think like, oh, well, I'm supposed to, in terms of if you're struggling in terms of your weight status being very low and, you know, Mm -hmm. that being a problem medically, but the same thing for my patients who suffer with anorexia that are in larger size bodies. I don't care what your weight is. It's not relevant to the work that we do. And I think it's very Mm -hmm. radical for some people to, to Mm -hmm. uh, hear that. So I think it's an important point for us to point out as well in terms of the um, uniqueness of recovery from one patient or, or client to the next. I couldn't agree more. I, I don't like to weigh my clients. I do have some clients on virtual scales who are what is deemed underweight. And I will sort of caveat that to say, like, we do have a measure of what our minimum weight should be based on our height for like our medical stabilization. Right. And then in terms of, in my opinion, of based on what I understand about um, like IBW, Mm -hmm. um, you know, clinically. And so, but after that, it's all gravy, like, meaning like everybody can sort of be within um, a range of what their weight set point is. And it's really, like you said, more important about looking at your relationship to food, what your eating patterns are, how much like variability is there and like Mm -hmm. less rigidity around choices um, uh, is what it's really all about. And sort of like, where are their barriers to intake? if there are. Um, so that's what I, what I focus on, but I do, I will say that for anyone out there curious, like if somebody has been coming from a place of being severely underweight, like there are ways to monitor it. You could go to the doctor and have a blind weight where you don't see the number. Um, I think that not seeing the number is a really important thing to do for recovery. And that is something that we hear sort of mixed voices, Mm. uh, about from the, recovery sort of spaces. Um, you know, I think it, again, it's always individual, uh, and coming back to, uh, sort of trauma informed care of getting people's permission and autonomy to decide what they need to do. This is also, we're talking about outpatient care. We're not talking about higher level of care being in a hospital. If you're in a hospital and you're having shifts in electrolytes, that's another conversation about your stability. Um, we're talking about being in an outpatient setting. So there's a lot of flexibility for, for us to work, um, around other sort of like metrics and markers of, yeah, of our health and wellness that, yeah, are probably more informative, informative of the long-term status of your well-being. (laughs) Of course. And, you know, I think it's also a point that, that, we were kind of talking about that I thought would be interesting to bring up is that there are a lot of people, uh, practitioners in this space who are not registered dietitians who provide or say that they provide like nutrition care in terms of like recovery or management of chronic disease. But unfortunately 
they don't have like the scientific background and the training to really be able to look at lab work and understand medications and interactions and things like that. And I think it's important for people to make sure that who they are seeking advice from and going to for care, that they are able to clinically kind of address all these issues. Yes, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big um, issue issue because like I I have this new client that's working with me and it just popped into my head. Um, she had prior, she had been in inpatient eating disorders many, many years ago, um, inpatient eating disorder programs many years ago. And then she kinds of veered off and now she's in a place where she's stable enough to be on an intuitive eating journey and healing her relationship with food. Um, but she was saying that she was working with someone in the past who was not able to kind of evaluate her labs and things mm -hmm. like that. So when I said like, Oh, like give me your physician's number, let them know that I'm calling. She goes, she was like surprised that I would do that. And I was like, well, that's part of like my job to monitor you and, you know, not just how you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis, but in terms of like your lab values and things like that. And I think as we help people become um, advocates for their care to be able to know that there are unfortunately, and especially in the social media realm, it's very easy to not understand someone's like certifications or qualifications in terms of being able to um, provide adequate care and safety in terms of someone's health. Mm -hmm. So I think that's just an important um, point to point out because someone could have a lot of followers on Instagram and Yes. their services, but not necessarily have the ability. Well, you shouldn't be practicing nutrition regardless. Like we have insurance that we pay liability insurance and things like that. So that, you know, as a, as a healthcare provider, but unfortunately that is not always the case when it comes to like the world of social media in terms of people that are selling services out there. Yeah. It's, it's hard to swim through all that comp competition of, and if you're mm. someone who's looking for support around food and body, you know, looking for a registered dietitian uh, is really important. And also acknowledging like that if they're an eating disorder recovery dietitian versus someone who's offering a more general, you know, line of offerings of work as a, as a dietitian, because they may not be skilled to support oh, you. Sure. Also, and also like, are they promoting weight loss versus a weight <laughs> neutral mm. sort of um, mode modality of work? Because they're, you know, for, let's see, in my cohort from my <laughs> graduate degree mm. in dietetics, there were probably three of us at the end, two or three um, that were coming out as health at every size, including myself mm -hmm. out of like 27 people. So think about all of the clinicians out there who are promoting weight loss or yeah, yeah we don't learn really about eating disorder recovery in school. It's something you have to sort of build skills on. So finding the right fit of, you know, a clinician, are they licensed? Um, mm -hmm. And can they be aligned with like what you need? And if you're ambivalent about wanting to change your body or not, that can be such a hard decision. So I think it's important to, um, have conversations, you know, yeah. like make a, dis a discovery call to a potential clinician to see if, if they could help you. 
Yeah, I think that's so important. And, you know, it's such a difficult place to be in, especially, like I said, as we enter the summer months and the spring months and the warmer weather. And, you know, it. I find that it becomes even more the thought of, of shrinking your body becomes even more attractive because of this time of year. Um, so I will for sure be on my soapbox screaming <laughs> for anyone who will listen that like your body is worthy as it is and you can wear whatever you want mm. and it doesn't, you don't have to shrink your body to get summer ready or whatever the, mm. the diet culture nonsense is spewing. Yeah. For those out there, I don't need to have my body as my business card and neither do you. You you don't need to change your body to live your life and move through it. Um, and that does sort of exclude like, not that people need to change, but that dealing with uh, sort of fat liberation is, mm. is an oppress- oppressive I- issue, <laughs> a social justice issue. And so like, it's not an, on an individual level, but a societal level of structure, like fitting in chairs and airplane seats um, for access. So wh- wherever you are and whoever is listening, just know that you're worthy. And yeah, some of this is like internal work and some of this is yeah. a systems change that needs to yeah. happen. For sure, a hundred percent. And I think that it's really wonderful as having been in, in the nutrition world, um, for what feels like my whole life. (laughs) Um, but, um, to, to see this shift and the growth of this kind of movement and this having more individuals in this space. So it's so wonderful to have connected with you and please guys give Chelsea a follow. I'll leave all of her info in the, um, show notes and Chelsea is there anything that you want to leave the listeners with yeah I just want you to know that you're all worthy wherever you are with your relationship with your food and body whether you're on a journey of recovery or healing or you know chronic dieting or chronic disease that you're worthy today and um, it's an honor to just be here chatting with with you and I, I hope that we all get to stay in touch Oh, yes, for sure. And I would love (laughs) to have you back on. So everyone, please give Chelsea a follow. And um, I will see you guys next week. And thank you again, Chelsea, for coming on. Thank you so much.